Thanks, Hello. <clears throat> I expect we can all remember being a teenager, unless you are one now, in which case you are experiencing it right now. We've obviously just seen the baptism of a teenager, and, um, you know, the invention of the teenager, I think uh, many historians and social critics, only happened in the 1940s in the United States. Um, but obviously, throughout history, um, people have experienced the hormonal trials of adolescence, but probably no allowance was made for it. Um, now, the Bible has quite a lot of stories that focus on teenagers, and you know, there's Mary, she would have been a teenager, or in the Old Testament, think of Esther, or the Old Testament character Joseph, or Joshua, when he was first, I think, um, Moses's sort of assistant, he would have been a very young man. But I'd like to focus today on a, a, a guy called David, who we first meet when he was a teenager in the Old Testament. He lived about 3,000 years ago, and um, he was an outcast of his family. The family David was born into sounds really different to the Heap family, which sounds wonderful, right? <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, um, we were talking earlier, someone was talking about us all being weird. Gaz, you were talking about us all being weird. <laughs> you know, it's like that Homer Simpson quote, you know, that everyone will think we're a normal family, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> so he was an outcast, he was rejected by his parents, the, the, the great prophet of his day, Samuel, came to visit and have dinner at his home, and they gathered all the other brothers, the parents gathered, but David, they left out tending the sheep in the field, he was ignored and overlooked, um, and um, despised, just as many teenagers feel today, uh, even if it's untrue. Now, uh, when I was 18, I became a Christian, my parents were not Christians, and they uh, kind of struggled to cope with it. But then after I'd finished university, I went for a gap year with an organisation called Youth with a Mission. And, and they really lost it at that point. And over a period of a year, I got all kinds of... This was before mobile phones and everything. I got a whole series of letters. I still got them somewhere, and maybe I should get rid of them, you know. But anyway... They're letters saying, you know, that, um, that by being on this mission, I was going to ruin my father's career, that YWAM was a kind of a, a covert CIA operation, um, that I was idle and inconsiderate and thoughtless, that they were really, it was like lots of manipulation and guilt and stuff like this. And, um, you know, I realised actually at the time, because my dad was normally a very easygoing guy, I, I worked out I was quite a new Christian, that actually there was some spiritual oppression going on here. This was all stirred up from the pit of hell, from, the, from deep demonic forces working on them. And so I started to pray against that, and it gradually subsided. But it did hurt, right? And as, t as a teenager, David was a shepherd and a musician. Because he was such a good musician, Saul recruited him to be his court musician. So he would have been often in front of David. And then he grew up, I guess he grew a beard, and then uh, and wasn't at the court anymore. Then he slayed Goliath. Do you remember the story of, uh, even if you don't know your Bible, you've probably heard about David killing Goliath. And at last, David got noticed. David got seen. But he was still not recognized. Saul didn't remember who he was. Had to ask, whose son is this? Right? Now, here at the Oak, our ambition is to see... It is to know, it is to recognise, and it's to cheer on the young people in this church family, as well as the rest of us, amen? And um, now, if you read about Saul's life, 
you will find the word afraid appears often. But David, whatever the background he had, he was confident. He was remarkably free from fear. And I, I asked, was asking the question, can we learn anything from him about freedom from fear? And uh, fear, by the way, it's just as a definition on a slide, is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc., whether the threat is real or imagined. Now, I want to look at Psalm 27 this morning, where David displays some habits I think we can imitate. These are four, four fear-busting, confidence-building habits, and they are that David talked to himself about fear, that David talked to himself about putting God first, that David talked with God and asked for mercy, and he talked lastly with himself about rejection. So the first habit I want to cover is this. David talked to himself about fear. To do fear-busting, to become confident, the Psalms show us that we can talk to ourselves. You see that again and again in the Psalms. So firstly, ask yourself questions like David did in verse 1. He, he's, talk, he's talking to, about God, but he's actually talking to himself. The Lord is my light, my salvation, he says. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer to the question should be mm, nobody. No one. I should be afraid of nobody. I should be afraid of no one. Now, anyone under the age of 21 has been born after 9 11. For their whole lives, people of that age have lived in an economy that's stagnated, living standards have flatlined, they've experienced the worldwide COVID pandemic. There's been a lot of stuff this generation's had to deal with. And uh, David also grew up in a time of oppression. For him, it was oppression by the Philistines, who were uh, a force that was oppressing Israel at that time. Now, do you recognize this salute? Yep, what's this? There is something like that, yes, but in popular culture. Hunger Games, that's right. So the salute in the Hunger Games. Thank you. Obviously, that's, that's gone past your head, but it's very interesting because I, I like to read young adult fiction. And uh, in young, young adult fiction, like The Hunger Games, Maze Runner, Divergent, The Hundred... You, you see a world, and these are popular things, they've been often made into movies, TVs, miniseries, in which young people are, see themselves as being um, struggling in a very dark future world that's imagined, uh, full of betrayals, manipulations, challenges. There's few adults they can trust, and they have to try and make their way in this very frightening scenario. That is the picture that is painted for many of our young people in young adult fiction. Now, um, and many people, I suggest many young people in our cities may very well feel like that, a very confusing world that doesn't seem to do anything for them, where they feel uh, left out, overlooked, threatened, just like David did. Now, David was often in physical battles because he uh, became, as he grew up, he became a soldier in Saul's army. And, um, and that's the kind of scenario where this psalm was written. Now, if I was going to be in a punch-up, who would I like to have on my side? Let me think. John Wick, Jack Reacher, <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yep. Or looking in the room here, <laughs> Craig Bostead, I want him. 
Okay, ole. Who else Leah looks like? Let's see your guns. I'll have to- Rob Heap as well. Um, now, David was a professional soldier by this stage. He knew how to fight, and he'd attracted many skilled warriors to his side. But who did he most want by his side in any battle? He wanted God at his side. And uh, so that's so important to remember. That's why he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. And uh, that's so important to know. Number two, tell yourself what will happen to your enemies. You know, that's such an important thing to do. So often we amp the enemies, you know, the enemies look like giants and our friends all look like grasshoppers. But this is what he says, when the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. What a thing to tell yourself. What a good thing to tell yourself. And, uh, you know, our enemies, as Christians, we soon learn that actually people are not really our enemy. It's the evil spirits, the demons that are manipulating people to get into the mess that their lives get into. That's the real enemy. And we can be sure of this. Our enemies and our foes will stumble and fall. And we need to say that to be free from fear. Next, thirdly, tell yourself that you will be confident, right? That you will be confident and you will not fear. Verse three has been an anchor for my life on several occasions. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. It's a bold thing to say. You know, the week before last, um, I had reason to use this. You know what this is? A blood pressure cuff for a blood pressure monitor. Right, I'd, I'd gone to this screening thing at a pharmacy and my blood pressure was a little high. So um, a couple of days later, I thought, oh, I should test it. And it was, we'd been sitting around all evening, it was 10 o'clock, got Elspeth to get the monitor out, hooked it up, tested my blood pressure. I'd been sitting down all evening and the blood pressure was 200 over 87, right? So, I mean, it put me in a spin. I hardly slept. <laughs> All night I could kind of hear my heart beating, you know, that kind of thing. I thought I'm going to have a heart attack or a stroke any minute. I, was, I slept really badly. Honestly, you'd be ashamed of me, right? I forgot all I know about God and was in a pathetic heap. But not so with David, right? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. And it's at those moments that we need to remember these habits. And yes, the next morning I got myself together. <laughs> right, God is good. I, I love sometimes reading Martin Lloyd-Jones and in a book, Spiritual Depression, about Psalm 42, he wrote some great words and I've cannibalized them for the question of fear. Have you realized that most of your fear is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. The main trouble in being afraid is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. There's a lot of wisdom in that. So the second habit is David talked to himself about putting God first. Tell yourself to keep the main thing the main thing. 
David lived at a time when the Iron Age was just taking over from the Bronze Age. The Israelites were stuck in the Bronze Age with bronze equipment. The Philistines had moved on to the next generation of iron weapons. In an age of fast technological change, power often moves to the young, you know. They, they know their tech so much better than their parents, unlikely in the heap household, having said which. <laughs> but um, was David enamoured of recent technology? You know, if I was David, my priority in a battle would have been to get hold of an iron sword if I possibly could. Or at the very least, my sling. You remember his sling with Goliath? Or maybe two of his famous mighty men, as they were called. But what did David think was the main thing? Verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He's putting God first. Is this just impractical nonsense? You know, I'm, I, I don't think it is at all. Even, even in the movies, don't we? When you have um, warriors, the best warriors are those who've mastered stillness. You know, you watch those scenes in Star Wars or Karate Kid or Kung Fu Panda, right? <laughs> you know, there's something about stillness which is actually important for a warrior. Tom was told this morning that word, he's a warrior. We want to be warriors for God. Now, I wasn't here yesterday, but the team filled up the skip with loads of junk, yep? And guys came along. Now, when you were filling that skip, the big things need to go in first, don't they? Because if you put all the small stuff in, the, the big stuff's going to stick out. But if you put the big stuff in, all the small stuff can fill in around it. Do you know that's the same in our lives? You must put God in first the little stuff can fit around. If you fill your life with all the little stuff, there'll be no room for God. David knew that a good habit was to tell God, to tell yourself to put God first. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So then whatever life, junk life throws at you, you can know what David knew, when he, which he goes on to say in verse five, for in the day of trouble, because there are always days of trouble, friends, aren't they? You can't put them in the calendar. I can't look in my phone and look up, oh, when's the next day of trouble coming, right? They just happen, okay? And you need to be ready because if you make God number one in your life, if you put God first, then in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. I'm not saying that troubles won't come, but that you won't be excessively troubled by God's grace. And then when we tell ourselves to keep the main thing the main thing, it redefines what we think of as success. Because he says, verse six, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. Well, how? Is he gonna kill them? No, he says, at his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Success is not that you beat the enemy, it's that whatever the enemy does, you are still worshipping. Right? Whatever the enemy does, you are still worshipping. David says, I will sing and I'll make music to the Lord. David sang, David danced in worship. You know it is said, never trust a leader who won't sing and dance. <laughs> Maybe the Bible says that's true. Third habit, 
David talked with God and asked with, for mercy. We also do need to actually speak to God. And what he knew he had to say to God was one of the most important things you need to say to God. He says, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Be merciful to me. He knew he needed mercy. You know, if you ever ask that question, what do you do when you realize you're not the good guy? Do you ever have moments when you realize, oh, oh, I've messed this up here. I have not been the good guy in this situation. If you've never had such an experience, you can never know God because you need to ask God for mercy. David knew what to do in those moments when he knew he hadn't been the good guy. If you read the story of his life, he messed up quite a few times, but he always knew what to do. He knew there was always a God you could turn to. Whatever mess you had made, you could turn to God. And you needed to ask God to forgive you. Now, why do you need to ask God to forgive you? Because you need to find somebody who has the authority to say you are forgiven. Because until you find someone who's big enough, who actually has the authority to declare that you are forgiven, there will always be accusers who will pull you down. The devil will come and whisper in your ear. Other people will accuse you because this psalm talks about lots of accusatory people. You need to know that someone above all other voices has the voice and authority to tell you, you are forgiven. And this has been pronounced from the throne of heaven. And nobody can gainsay that. You need to know that. And forgiveness is important because then we get a cleansed conscience. We also get the gift of being put into right standing with God, which is what we, we often use the word righteousness. That means being given right standing with God. And when you're with right, in right standing with God, your conscience has been cleansed. That makes you bold. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues. They're filled with fear. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. You can receive the gift of righteousness to enter into this kind of boldness. We've had a water baptism today. The Apostle Peter in the New Testament, speaking about water baptism, says it's the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The pledge of a clear conscience. You know, water baptism is a good thing for getting rid of fear. Charles Spurgeon, and again, he writes some great stuff. A um, church, uh, he was converted in the 1840s, I think. Um, and he, he wrote, he was baptized in the River Lark in 1850. And he says, I felt as if heaven and earth and hell might gaze upon me, for I was not ashamed there and then to own myself a follower of the Lamb. My timidity washed away. It floated down the river into the sea and must have been devoured by the fishes, for I have never felt anything of the kind since. Baptism loosed my tongue, and from that day it has never been quiet. I lost a thousand fears in the river lark and found that in keeping his commandments, there is great reward. A clean conscience, the gift of righteousness. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Get your forgiveness from God and see where he may take you. The fourth habit 
is that David talked to himself about rejection. The biggest battles we face are not out there, they're in here. That's the biggest battle every one of us faces. And as I said already, I believe there are fallen angels, demons that want to exploit our baggage, our hang-ups, our vulnerabilities to mess with our heads about past experiences. I mentioned earlier about these letters I had for a period of time when I was about 21 from my parents. And you know, that has affected me. That's put a little, little kind of uh, baggage in my life. So to this day, like if I get an email and the subject line suggests the subject matter might be you know, to do with criticism or conflict or challenge, or I start reading it and I find there's something like that, I, I can't read it, right? It's like, oh no, I can't, I, so I, I, I'll put it away. It, it might be two or three days before I read it. It might be two or three weeks. To be honest, there's some I've never read all the way through, right? Because these things have an impact on us, don't they? Now, in David's life, there were these repeated patterns of rejection I've already mentioned, his parents, King Saul. For you, it may be different. I, I don't know. We've all got different life experiences, patterns of bullying that you've experienced, patterns of addiction, patterns of being betrayed by people that should, you should have been able to trust, patterns of closing your heart to others in need, patterns of lying. I, I don't know what they might be. And we sometimes do a Freedom in Christ course. I know when I did it, I learned to identify those. But this is my Steps to Freedom in Christ book. You learn to identify some of those, the baggage, the hang-ups in your life. And then you learn declarations to go back to, as it were, like prescriptions that you can use to, to bring down those kind of enslaving experiences and kind of issues in your life. And, um, you know, in verse 11... Uh, David says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. David knew the oppressors in his life. He knew the prisons that could take him to captive to fear, which was those experiences of rejection in his life. But do you know what your, yours are? Have you ever done a freedom in Christ? You could read the book if you can't get to the course. Find out what those things are so that you can overcome them and be delivered from fear. And you'll see how David does that even here. It's almost a perfect example of what happens in the Freedom in Christ course. For, uh, David tells himself to seek God's face and he pleads not to be overlooked or excluded. He's had that deep experience. It's profoundly affected him. So verse 8, uh, he, he says, My heart says of you, God, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. He's repeating that priority of putting God first. Do not hide your face from me, he pleads. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. You can see that, that, that what happened in the past has hurt him, and so he needs to get, tell God this. You know, when the enemy is close, we can so often want God's hand or his rescue, but David knew he, wanted to keep, he needed to keep seeking God's face, to know that he was not rejected or overlooked. So then he's even bolder. Verse 10, David tells himself, God will receive me. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, that was his actual experience. Right? Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. 
Isn't it wonderful? The Lord will receive me. So he's speaking those words that will attack and undermine that kind of baggage in his life. And Jesus made us a similar promise that we can still tell him. And as we turn to Christ today, whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will never drive away. What a wonderful promise. You can come to Christ today and he will never drive you away. He will never reject you. He will receive you. What a promise for every single one of us today. And um, David asked God not to let um, enemy desires take over his thinking again. Verse 12, don't hand me over to the desire of my foes. Um, You know, your enemy, the devil wants to get into your head and mess with you. He wants to fill your head with his evil desires. But David wanted God's good desires to fill his mind. So, you know, that's so important. We have to forgive those who've attacked us in whatever way or whatever sort of way we feel other people have harmed us. We do need to let that go because if we don't, we're letting them live rent-free in our heads and their desires will fill our thoughts and then truly we will be handed over to the desire of our foes. But uh, for myself, I'm still dealing with my baggage. Are you still dealing with yours? Um, so when I get those emails or anything like that, I have to give myself a talking to, like, like David. I have to say, Andrew, come on, you've spent two days fretting about what that email might say. Why don't you actually find out? Because maybe there's nothing in there at all to be worried about. And you've already spent two days worrying about it. And, and even if there is something in there to worry about, You've got me, you know, God, I've got you. You're the stronghold of my life, yep. And then God does help me to open those, those emails or whatever and to read them. God is good, isn't he? I'm sure you do the same thing. So David concludes his psalm by declaring his confidence. I remain confident of this or literally I believe this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. In my first year at university, my roommate was a soldier. He was being sponsored through uni by the army. I'd been a Christian about six months and I wanted Chris to know Jesus. And eventually one Sunday he agreed to come with me to church. Church was awful that day. I mean, maybe you think it's been awful here today. I was so downcast. I I was kind of thinking, oh God, why is it so awful today? I wanted my friend to see the hand of God, to be impressed by God. I want it to be wonderful. Anyway, eventually, you know, the the meeting came to an end. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to turn to him and ask him what he thought. And I turned... And he was weeping. He was just weeping. He came to Christ. He met with God. He spent his whole life in the army making up to Colonel, I think it was. He's still following Jesus. It's God, isn't it? It's God. He's so good. And we can turn to him. So today, we want to meet with God, all of us. I hope you do. To realise that his presence in your life is the greatest prize you can have. 
And Jesus is offering to forgive you so you can be in his family forever and get freedom from oppressions and fears. And you can be put in right standing with God and you can know whatever anybody else accuses you of, that you are forgiven forever. The Bible says his mercy endures forever. I'm a bit moody, I don't know about you. I go to sleep all excited about something next day, all my energy's gone. God doesn't do that. His mercy endures forever. He's never going to change his mind about his mercy. And he has the authority to declare, you are forgiven. I make you righteous as a gift. You have right standing. And however much you've messed up in life, you can go forward and be as bold as a lion. Let's stop fighting God and realize he's fighting for us. Praise God. And do you want to come up and go to? Going to sing, God, I look to you, I think. Is that right? Maybe you want to sing, God, I look to you today. And maybe it'd be the first time. But if it's the first time you want to turn to Christ, I'm going to lead us in a prayer for a moment. If you're able to stand, I want to suggest you stand up. And... The treehouse and youth will be running through to, to midday, so we've got lots of time here. I want to invite you. Right now, let's put God first place in the sort of skip of our life, the bucket of our life. Let's put God in there. Ask God to be in there. So I'm going to pray a prayer and you can, in your head, pray along with me and say the Amen, if you so wish. Heavenly Father, you are good. You made all things. And you love human beings and have reached out to us by coming to be one of us in Christ. He died in my place so that I need not die but have eternal life all my wrongdoing my shame my guilt was laid on him and he offers me the gift of all his goodness and righteousness to be put on me I receive that gift and ask for it in Jesus name I ask for your forgiveness. I just think right now about those things which have disappointed me and must disappoint you even more. I ask for your full and free forgiveness and I declare and remember that you have the authority to forgive sin and that your mercy lasts forever. You will never change your mind that even if I'm unfaithful to you, you are faithful to your promise. 
I thank you, you have promised that, that if anybody comes to you, you'll never turn them away. So I come to you now and I say, receive me, God, afresh. Or for the first time, receive me. And I want to assure you this morning, he does receive you. You are received. You are seen. You are recognized. You are not rejected. And he wants to come and live in your life. So come, Jesus, live in us afresh. And lead us forward to share this message with others and to enjoy what it is to be part of your family. Yeah, yeah. and to get baptized in your name to show publicly that we are followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm.